We meet today in Philippians chapter 3. We are going to look at verse 1 to verse 9. We will talk about the price for Christian living and see how Paul changed his bookkeeping system of his past life. We have seen the philosophy of Christian living summed up in the verse Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have also seen the pattern for Christian living summed up in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Today we come to the prize for Christian living, which is also summarized in Paul's personal testimony in verse 14. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We will see in this chapter that Paul changed his bookkeeping system of the past. He changed his purpose for the present and he changed his hope for the future. Paul believed that God was going to establish a kingdom on this earth. He never changed his view on that. But he did see that there is a marvelous, wonderful hope for believers in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, the day when Christ will take his own out of this world. Now let's first of all look at how Paul changed his bookkeeping system of the past. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Philippians 3 verse 1. Now, the word finally, my brethren, gives us the impression that Paul is coming to the conclusion of this epistle. He must have intended this to be a very brief thank you note to the Philippian believers who had been so generous in meeting him at his point of need. But we are just midway in the epistle, so obviously the Spirit of God further prompted Paul to go on. His final message was going to be, rejoice in the Lord. I think that would still be his final message if he were here today. He has shown how three men, himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, all had the mind of Christ. So it was like fitting for him to now give the final message to it, rejoice in the Lord. Now, they were able to rejoice even in sickness and imprisonment. The early church would also rejoice amidst the fires of persecution. Besides, Paul is saying that it has been no burden to him to write this letter. Why? He has no burden on his heart, such as there had been when he wrote maybe to the Galatians or to the Corinthians. He wrote when his heart was light-hearted and rejoicing. The Philippians had been a great joy to him. Now he wants them to rejoice too. Notice that it is actually a command. Rejoice in the Lord. So he says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It is safe for him to write to the Philippians, you see. They were spiritually mature. 
They loved Paul, and he loved them. He felt so close to them. So he says it is not grievous, it is not tedious or irksome to write to them. It is safe to him to write to them because he knows they will understand what he is talking about. So he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Philippians 3 verse 2. Paul used the word beware of dogs to refer to Jews who professed to believe in Christ but depended on keeping the ritual of Judaism for their salvation. They insisted that unless men kept the law of Moses, they would not be saved. Now Paul regards this teaching as dangerous and subversive to the gospel of Christ. Dogs is a familiar term of reproach commonly used by Jews to describe Gentiles. It was used by the Judaizers to express their contempt for Christians who neglected the rites of Judaism, such as circumcision. Mutilation is still another term of insult, actually, for the Judaizers. They had so distorted and perverted the meaning of circumcision that the rite had become nothing more than a senseless butchery of the body. In the Greek word, circumcision means to cut around. Here Paul uses the word which means to cut down upon or even cut off. You see, they attempted to mutilate the gospel or cut it away completely by preaching Christ plus works in the form of Jewish rituals. So they said, Christ plus works equals salvation. That was cutting away the gospel. So, beware of dogs is not a word of warning, for example, to the postman who will come to your house wanting to deliver uh, the post and you sometimes get to the homes and you see, beware of the dogs. That is not the meaning here. Paul is not referring to animals in this verse. We will get some insight into this thinking by turning back to the prophecy of Isaiah, who warned against the false prophets of his days. Isaiah 56 verse 10 tells us, His watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant, they are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. You see, Isaiah was warning the people against the false prophets who were attempting to comfort the people and were telling them that everything was fine instead of warning them of the coming disaster. You see, the northern kingdom had already gone into captivity because the false prophets had given them a false sense of security. God was warning the southern kingdom not to do the same thing. He was calling the false prophets dumb dogs. They won't speak out. They won't tell it as it is. Dogs are those who are not declaring the full counsel of God. Instead of warning people of the judgment of God because of sin, we tell them, you are all right. All you need is to come to church and even give money, regardless of your sinful way of life. We have the same danger today, my friend. 
Comfort is the word of the day. We look for comfortable places to stay when we are traveling. We all enjoy the creature comforts that we can afford. The desire for comfort has carried over into the church. There is danger of just comforting the people or the congregation because that is what they would like to have coming from the pulpit and not the whole counsel of God. In Isaiah's day, there were many false prophets who were comforting the people when they should have been warning them. Isaiah likens the false prophets to dumb dogs. You see, a good sheepdog is constantly alert of danger. If a lion or a bear makes a foray into the flock pretending to be one of them, that dog will bark like a mad dog and run it away if it can. The dog will give warning of the approach of any kind of danger. But the false prophets gave no warning at all. Therefore, the southern kingdom had been lulled to sleep and resented Isaiah's effort to arouse them. So beware of dogs is beware of people who don't give you the full counsel of God. It is happening today, my friend. Philippians 3 verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, what does Paul mean by we are the circumcision? You see, he makes it very clear that at the end of the epistle to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 6 verse 15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You see, the old circumcision is out. God is not looking for a mere external observation of the ritual. True circumcision is of the heart. It is the new birth, a new heart attitude towards God. And this true circumcision, by the way, begins in Christ Jesus. So he says, have no confidence in the flesh. We do not have confidence in our old nature. We must trust Christ alone. We do not look to ourselves for salvation, nor can we live the Christian life in our old nature. It must be Christ in us. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Philippians 3 verse 4. Now Paul says, if there is any person who could have confidence in the flesh, then I could have even more confidence. That's a literal translation of what he is saying. He is willing to stack his religious life against that of any man. And he knows that he could measure up to him and surpass him. And so he says, I more. Now he is going to list seven things in which he trusted at one time. And he says, this is religion. If anyone could have been saved by religion, Saul of Tarsus would have been the man. And so the seven things come. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
Philippians 3 verse 5 and 6. You see, these are still things that people boast about today. But none of them can save you. None of these can bring you into a relationship with God. Let us look at all the seven in a little detail. Circumcised in the eighth day. You see, this is a basic right of the Mosaic system. Paul is making it clear that he had godly parents. They reared him according to the Mosaic law. You will remember that the Lord Jesus also had godly parents who brought him to the temple to be circumcised. Paul says, I had godly parents of the stock of Israel. Now that statement, probably many of the Judaizers were half-breeds and Paul says he was not. He was of the stock of Israel. And I think you could have checked Paul's genealogy in the temple in that day. And you could find it. Paul had a genealogy, a background, and he knew where he belonged. Thirdly, he says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. This is like saying that he belonged to the best family. Benjamin had been the favorite son of the old Jacob. Rachel had given birth to Benjamin when she died, and she had called him son of my sorrow. But Jacob had named him son of my right hand. Rachel had been the bright spot in his life before Pinel. And when he had looked into the crib at the little Benjamin, he had seen him as Rachel's son. Benjamin became his right hand, his walking stick, if you like, the one on whom he leaned. Also, the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul, and I have a notion that Saul of Tarsus was named after this king. So Paul could say with pride that he came from the tribe of Benjamin. He could easily boast in this heritage. Fourthly, he says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. This means he was a leader. He was in the highest stratum of the religious circle. He was up to the top. Remember, he belonged to the Sanhedrin. The fourth consideration is concerning the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees represented the very best in Israel. They were a religious political party, and their aim was to establish the kingdom. They had arisen some time after or during the captivity. They were fundamental. They believed in the integrity of the scriptures. They believed in angels. They believed in the resurrection and in miracles. They were also extremely nationalistic in their politics. The Pharisees thought they could bring the kingdom by political manipulation. They wanted to establish the kingdom of God here upon this earth. Paul could say that he was a Pharisee, something to boast of. The sixth consideration, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You see, Paul thought he was doing God's will when he persecuted the church. The other Pharisees were willing to relax when they had run the Christians out of Jerusalem. But Paul was determined not only to read them out of Jerusalem, but to track them down all over the world. That was his purpose on his way to the Damascus city at the time of his conversion. 
concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And finally, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What he means by concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, is that he had brought the proper sacrifice for his sin to make things right before God. Paul was sincere. Regarding the law, Paul was a super saint. He had every right to say, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. You see, there were things, these things were the things that Paul had on the credit side of his ledger, if you like. It was such a big total that he felt all the things commended him to God. He thought they were all credits to him. On the debit side of his ledger was a person he hated. He did not like him. And that person was Jesus Christ. Out of his hatred, Paul was trying to eliminate even the followers of Jesus Christ. Then one day, the Lord Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus and he changed him and his whole bookkeeping system was also changed. What had been a debit became a credit and what he had considered a credit became a debit. It was a complete revolution, my friend. That is the kind of revolution we need in this our time. Philippians 3 verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. You see, on the credit side of the ledger, Paul had been adding up his background and his character and his religion. It seemed like an impressive list, and it was on the human side. Suddenly it all became a debit. He no longer trusted in those things because he met Christ Jesus. He had hated him before and was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christ's followers. But now, the one on the debit side was moved to the credit side. He put his entire trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3 verse 8 You see, Paul's conversion was not just an experience of a moment. Conversion is not a balloon ascension. Many people think that you can go down to some altar and have an experience, see a vision and be carried to the heights. And that's it, my friend. Conversion is something that stays with you. It is not just for a moment. Although it happens in a moment of time, it continues for a lifetime. And sanctification is not a great emotional experience, by the way. It is a daily walk in dependence on God. Paul says that since that moment of his conversion, he lives for Christ. He has suffered the loss of all things. Jesus Christ is uppermost now in his thinking. The things that he used to consider most precious, he now considers to be rubbish. That is a strong language, my friend. He says he flushes his religion down the drain, down the sewage. He flushes away all the things that he used to trust. Now he trusts the Lord Christ and him alone for salvation.
Many people need to lose their religion and find Christ Jesus as Paul did. He was so revolutionized that what had been his prized possession is now relegated to the garbage can, if you like. Paul goes on with a theological statement of what happened to him. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Philippians 3 verse 9. Now this is the verse that came to John Bunyan as he walked through the cornfields one night, wondering how he could stand before God. He said that suddenly he saw himself not just as a sinner, but as seen from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, he realized that he had nothing and that Christ had everything. So he says, not having my own righteousness, his own righteousness as he has made clear is the law. That is keeping the law. For example, he could boast of the fact that he had kept the Sabbath day. Paul now says, to let no man judge you in respect of the Sabbath. Colossians 2 verse 16. Oh, my friend, I could boast of the fact that I preach so many times during the year and that I have a daily radio program, but these things count nothing for salvation. My own righteousness is a legal righteousness, and God has already declared that all our righteousnesses are as filthy as rags in his sight. Isaiah 64 verse 6. And God is not just taking in dirty laundry. No, 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 no. However, he will take in dirt sinners and he is the one who will clean them up. Friend, the righteousness which is from God came about because when Christ died on the cross, he subtracted your sins and he rose again from the dead for your justification your righteousness. God can't even stand us in this our unregenerate state. We are not attractive to him at all. The very fact that he loved us and gave his son for us is the most amazing statement ever made. We are accepted only in the beloved. And my friend, that is wonderful to think about. The prize for Christian living is to actually count all the things that we think are to our advantage and only rest upon the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one. 4475. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.